The first lesson is taken from Exodus, the 20th chapter. God spoke all these words. I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself an idol, whether in the form of anything that is in heaven above or that is on earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or worship them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, punishing children for the iniquity of parents to the third and the fourth generation of those who reject me, but showing steadfast love to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not make wrongful use of of the name of the Lord your God, for the Lord will not acquit anyone who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. You shall not do any work. You, your son or daughter, your male or female slave, your livestock or the alien resident in your towns. For in six days the Lord made heaven and earth, the sea, and that all is in them but rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and consecrated it. Honor your father and your mother so that your days may be long in the land that the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife or male or female slave or ox, or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. Here ends the first lesson. We will now read Psalm 19 responsibly. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky proclaims its maker's handiwork. Tell tale to another, and that one puts knowledge to another. Although they have no words or language, and their voices are not heard, sound has gone out in all lands and their message to ends of the world where God has pitched a tent for the sun. It comes forth like a bridegroom out out of his chamber. It rejoices like a champion to run its course. It goes forth from the uttermost edge of the heavens and runs about to the end of it again. Nothing is hidden from its burning heat. The teaching of the Lord is perfect and revives the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure and gives wisdom to the people. The statues of the Lord are just and rejoice the heart. The commandment of the Lord is clear and gives it to, to his eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean and endures forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are than, than the gold, more than much fine gold, sweeter far than honey, and honey in a comb. By them also in, is your servant enlightened, and, and in keeping them there is a great reward. Who can detect one's own offenses? Cleanse my from my secret faults. Above all, keep your servant from presumptuous sins. Let them not get dominion over me. Then I shall be whole and sound and innocent of great offense. 
Let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. The, se- the second lesson is taken from the first Corinthians chapter one. The message about the cross is foolishness to those who are perishing, but to us who are being saved is the power of God. For it is written, I will destroy the wisdom of the wise and discernment of the discerning. I will thwart. Where's the one who is wise? Where's the scribe? Where's the debater of this age? Has not God made foolish foolish the wisdom of the world? For since the wisdom of God, the world did not know God through wisdom. God decided through the foolishness of our proclamation to save those who believe. For Jews demand signs and Greeks desire wisdom. But we proclaim Christ crucified, a stumbling block to Jews and foolishness to Gentiles. But to those who are the called, both Jews and Greeks, Christ the power of God and the wisdom of God. For God's foolishness is wiser than human wisdom, and God's weakness is stronger than human strength. Here ends the second lesson. The Holy Gospel according to St. John, the second chapter. Glory to you, O Lord. The Passover of the Jews was near, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. In the temple, he found people selling cattle, sheep, and doves, and the money changers seated at their tables. Making a whip of cords, he drove all of them out of the temple, both the sheep and the cattle. He also poured out the coins of the money changers and overturned their tables. He told those who were selling the doves, Take these things out of here. Stop making my father's house a marketplace. His disciples remembered that it was written, Zeal for your house will consume me. The Jews then said to him, What sign can you show us for doing this? Jesus answered them, Destroy this temple, and in three days I will raise it up. The Jews then said, This temple has been under construction for 46 years, and will you... And will you raise it up in three days? But he was speaking of the temple of his body. After he was raised from the dead, his disciples remembered that he had said this, and they believed the scripture and the word that Jesus had spoken. The gospel of our Lord. Praise to you, O Christ. We have them. We don't give them too much thought until it's causing us problems. Often, we don't know what to do with them. We desperately want to change them, cover them, improve them, hide them, tighten them, shape them, mold them. We compare ours to others. We describe them with odd categories like fruit. We analyze and take them apart. We take them for granted. Look at them in the mirror with disgust or modest admiration. Do you know what it is that I speak of? Bodies. Our bodies. It is something that has been on my mind since I taught confirmation last week. We are learning about Jesus. Yes, you'd assume that we'd be talking about Jesus in confirmation, but more specifically, 
Jesus as fully divine and fully human. And why that matters. I mean, it's a complicated thing to process. And so I gave the students some homework. And here it is as my reminder that you have homework. To write down why it's important to them that Jesus is human. Is there a memory or experience that you found relating to Jesus as a human was important? Maybe you needed someone to cry to, who understands. Someone who experienced what you experienced. And then they also had to write down why it's important that Jesus is divine. Is there a time when our humanity cannot explain it all and Jesus' divinity could? Something that exceeded our human understanding and reasoning. Have you ever experienced a miracle by calling on Jesus? It's a faithful and challenging homework assignment. One I think we should all do a little more often. Because Jesus was not just some guy 2,000 years ago that did some stuff, we wrote it down, and now we have a religion. You see, God made the decision to be incarnated, to localize love in the human body. God decided that becoming human was a good idea. And if we take the incarnation seriously and that God loves the world, the full expression of human bodies is at stake. We can't be partly human, selectively human. If we are human, then it means the whole thing. It means God loves the whole thing. For we are made in the image of God, the Imagio Dei. And you may be asking yourself, why does this matter to me? Because when was the last time you thought about how your body expresses the gospel? How your body communicates the message of love and grace to the world? How your body reveals the truth about God within. We tend to get so caught up hiding and scrutinizing our bodies, we forget that we are a sacred temple. That we do more than just tell people about Jesus, but we embody Jesus for others. Jesus' ministry involved bodies. His ministry was not just TED Talks to an audience. It involved bodies, walking, touching, healing, raising. It involved feeling through the body, anger, joy, grief, fear, sorrow, happiness. Jesus felt all that we felt. And his ministry was not just words, but showing us how important our bodies are, that we are of God, made from dust, and will return to dust. Bodies matter. Your body matters. 
and Lent, Easter, and theology cannot be fully captured or experienced in just our heady confessions, our reasoning, and our searching for answers. Lent invites us into a deep reflection on the role of bodies in faith, in theology, in life. In today's text, Jesus is saying that his body is the location of God. He is the embodiment of God's word, whose dwelling with humanity enables us to see God's glory and shows us the way to the Father. And the placement of today's text in the Gospel of John tells us a lot about what John wants to get across about Jesus. You see, the first thing to notice is the placement of where today's text falls in the whole gospel. In Matthew, Mark, and Luke, the temple scene follows Jesus' grand entry into Jerusalem. But in John's episode, it happens immediately after the first miracle at the wedding at Cana. And the gospels are confessions of faith from the first century rather than historical accounts from the 21st. So each difference provides us with a clue to the distinct confession of faith the particular evangelist offers. In this case, the synoptic writers, Matthew, Mark, and Luke, synoptic meaning they have similar stories found within all three of them, they cast this last act of Jesus in the temple as the precipice to his eventual arrest. John, however, uses the same scene to announce the inauguration of a new era, one in which the grace of God is no longer mediated through sacrifice, but instead available to all who receive Jesus as God's Messiah. Jesus doesn't just throw a temper tantrum, and flip some tables. He accuses them of defrauding the poor, of making the house of God into a marketplace, a place more focused on wealth than prayer. Do we not still have these marketplaces today? These transactional marketplaces that tell us how to look, how to feel, how to be, tell us what our worth is. Bodies that have become disposable to others, shot in the streets, living in conditions without clean water, bodies without shelter, bodies without enough food to eat, being told that they don't deserve their full humanity. Jesus is turning over tables and calling us back to the temple of his body. In Jesus, God is right here, right in front of you. Jesus is the revelation of God, and this is the radical claim of the word made flesh. Jesus calls us back to remember that God gave us these bodies, and God called them good and that we should treat all people with the dignity that they deserve. 
Your body matters. How your body, how your body has felt what it feels like to experience grace upon grace and tells it to the world, it matters. What does it feel like to be fully human and to soon see our Lord's body be beaten on the cross and then in a tomb? What does that feel like? We must first embrace our own bodies to embrace the magnitude of Jesus, saying that his body is the location of God. Embody your body, because then the word becomes flesh again and again and again. Amen.